I don't just want to drink like standard IPAs at every place. Like I want to, I want to try their interesting shit. Like Burnley actually has some really interesting beers. Dude, that is a good place for beers. They don't do takeaways, and they don't no, do growler fills because they have a license say, for it. Like it's it's not good information now, but their food, uh, if you ever get the chance to eat yeah. there, real good. I haven't eaten there. I, you know, I haven't been there very much. I went there to try and get that apple pie stout they did. Yeah, try and Kate get a takeaway. I went there for the for the launch. It was yeah, so good. I remember because it was just after the apple uh, crumble sour launch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that photo. Um, but yeah, so it was like you went there, and I went there a couple of days later, and mm. I'd like had a big night the night before, so I was like okay to drive, but if I had another drink, it would have you know reset, and it would have been real bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and it was also like a nine percent stout. So I went there and I was like, "Oh, can I um, can I get some takeaways?" They're like, "Oh, afraid not." I was like, "Well, if I come back with a growler," and I was like, "They're like, oh, we don't, we actually haven't got a license for that." And I was like, "Fuck!" And they're like, uh, "Oh, yeah, like if it's a license thing, I kind of get that." Yeah, it was just a bit gutting. And they were like, "Oh, there's a place in uh, Brunswick that's selling it. They might be able to do a growler." I was like, "I'm not fucking driving up there. Now. I'm yeah. not fucking driving home to get a growler, then driving up to Brunswick on a Sunday afternoon." I was yeah. like. Okay, so I never got to try it. So I'm a bit gutted about that because I should have just manned up. And she was like, do you want to try it now? And I was like, that's a terrible idea. Like, I've yeah. got the car. Like, I can see the car from the bar. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take, take a little sip. And then you have that moment where you're like, oh, no. Yeah, like Barney when he goes um, on The Simpsons when he goes <laughs> yeah. fucking sober. And then he's like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see the Matrix. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a shame. But, mm. yeah, so the last time I went there, apart from that, uh, the, I don't know if they were doing like a German like specialty thing where they had like two or three German style beers they were making. Okay. So I was drinking it in big liter steins. Yeah. Fuck, I was having a good time. That was like Easter a couple of years ago. Yeah, right. Do you remember when we could go out? <laughs> Do you remember outside? Do you remember places? <laughs> Dude, I, I, I ventured um, to out my back door earlier. It was sick. Yeah. Those yeah. Those the days. <sighs> right, how's your can going? I'm done. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to Hey Brew, a podcast about beer and storytelling. Each week, one of us brings a beer and a story, often just tangentially related to the beer. My name is Elliot. And my name's Mike. Uh, I have gone full presenter mode there. That was um, me. I like it. Yeah, uh, maybe I should be more professional in other aspects of my life, but who knows? Yeah, I I, Um, I would say my only only critique there is that you started with good afternoon and we have no way of knowing. Do you know what? I did think that because it's an afternoon here and I I almost stopped and went, I just dated that. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. The other thing is uh, I know that like we schedule our episodes to come out at 7 a.m. on the release date. Uh, And for some people that might encourage drinking in the morning. I'm not going to tell you not to. But mm. that might be a little bit more whiplash to be like Wednesday morning. Fucking what? What is time right now? Well, I like to hope that people listen to this at the weekend as they're doing menial tasks and drinking. Yeah, actually, as like three of my friends have told me this week, then they've been doing, which has been really sweet of them. Thank you yeah. to Jordan and Cassie and whoever the other one was. Oh, it was Haley actually the other day. Yeah, thank Hayley's you to everybody. The- thank you to everybody who continues to listen to Hey Brew. Yeah, or who uh, who might be new to the show as well? Yeah, this has started out with the opposite of a pity party or whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what have you got for me? What beer news? Beer news. Uh, well, I think I told you about this uh, yesterday when we did a little uh, socially distant beer exchange. Uh, I finally, I finally uh, tried the, uh, what is it? The Horn Please. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. The collaboration between Mountain Goat, based out of here in Melbourne, mm-hmm. 
and mm-hmm. Garage Project out of Wellington, New Zealand, which both of both breweries you and I both enjoy. Yes. Um, but it was a chili chai imperial stout. Uh, and it turns out you and I both think the same thing, which is that it is a, a decent, a very decent stout, um, mm. but the chili and the chai could have just been a little bit more pronounced. Um, yeah. They, they were definitely, like the flavors were definitely there and they, they developed a bit as I got through the, got further into the beer. Yeah. But I still just wanted a bit more of it to stand out because like, I've had plenty of stouts and I love them, but I wanted this one to be that like, where, where was the something different? Well, I think it's I think it's fair to say that that chili and the chai flavor were turned up to a solid four. Yeah, yeah, like they were definitely present, and I I, I could get a little bit of the heat out of the chili, but um, after having the uh, what is it the stone crime that we had, mm. which was all full of chili peppers and aged in barrels and all this bullshit, like that's that's now like that, recalibrated my appreciation for spice in a beer. It's, yeah, it's unfortunate as well that that is probably one of the best spiced beers I've ever had. So unfortunately, yeah. you, your baseline you set quite high. Yeah, yeah, but um, no, it, it was a decent beer. I'm not, I'm not sure if they're if that's something they're continuing to make because I bought it last year and the Crime. like the best before date was about a week ago. Um, oh, but I've, I've, yeah, I've kept it refrigerated for pretty much most of the time since I bought it, so it it, it was still fine. Um, yeah, I think it would be okay. I don't. I don't yeah. know if they're still making it. To be perfectly honest with you, I think. Um, I think it was one of their like garage project. What do they call their limited release stuff? Um, I don't know if they have a name for that range. They just kind nah, of do whatever they, they, they want. They definitely do, and I can't. What the fuck it's called? Oh Jesus, that's going to give me the shits if I don't look this up. <laughs> Mountain um, Goat Limited. Oh, Mountain Real- Goat. I think have a name for it. Yeah, I don't have a garage project though. Oh no, uh, no! I don't think rare, they do. Uh, Mountain goat rare, rare breed. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, garage project is just called business as usual. Yeah, I don't, I don't even think this was. Wild. Yeah, I don't think this was even labelled as a mountain goat rare breed. It was just a collaboration between the two. Um, you sure? I think so. <gasps> Sorry, what? I just opened the mountain goat website because yeah. I was already on the way to doing that um, to see if they still made it. And they've got a new IPA, which is a POG IPA. And I don't know what POG is. I think it's a... Uh, whoa. Uh, because I've had Pog Juice. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it's Passion Fruit, Orange, and Guava. There we go. So I've had oh, Pog Juice, that. Hazies, and stuff before. Yeah, and they're fucking mm-hmm. great. Um, but they're... Uh, uh, oh, my God. They've got a Pineapple Belenovice out. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> I'm getting all and coconut. Holy fuck! I'm getting yeah. all distracted. Um, yeah. But but the Pog IPA just says Mountain Goat Pog IPA. We're back in Pog form, um, oh, which God. is a phenomenal Simpsons reference, and I'm yeah. so happy. That's very uh, good. Yeah, dude. Um, oh man, it's showing me what they've got on tap at the brewery right now, which no, obviously they that. don't. We need to we need to keep making Stop. the show. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, man, <laughs> ruining, ruining my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Um, so yeah. So that, that but, that's my sort of I guess notable beer time recently i've I've ordered a whole bunch of stuff from stomping ground they've got like mm-hmm. a uh isolation case uh yeah, that, like that they're pack. doing at the moment which is basically like 24 beers and it's like a pretty good mix of their entire range um yeah and i've also i've also ordered four of their uh what is it the raspberry smash that they're that they've just come mm. out with so I'm very excited that's a to shame that's those. yeah it's a shame that's come out just at the turn of the weather because um as I've made very, very clear drunkenly on Christmas, I think raspberry sours are 
fucking phenomenal and miss pinky by boat rocker being one of my favorite beers i think i've mm. ever tasted which is a fucking statement um yeah so it's a shame that's come out at the turn of the tide i'd like that to have been a summer thing but i did have their key lime sour when mm. i was there uh with a friend of the show adam hobbs's parents um at, <laughs> uh, around christmas and that was fucking phenomenal a new year's day yeah. actually that was i was quite yeah, nice. quite pissed i had to go back to work the next day yeah um yeah uh, my beer news, what have I got? I went to Purvis Beer and had a look there because I went to pick up the beers for the show. And while I was there, I picked up um, a beer that someone had recommended me on one of the Slack channels at work called um, Continuous Daryl, um, which, of course, I was going to pick up because A, it would come recommended. B, it's meant to be a very good IPA. And C, it's got a ridiculous name, like yeah. what's not to love. Um, and then on top of that, I also picked up... They just had a few beers in a... Um, you know, reduced to a quick sale sort of thing. It was obviously mm-hmm. they were like past their sell-by date, but there was an epic Armageddon. Um, there was mm-hmm. a uh, uh, Duvel, maybe? I think, yeah, Duvel um, Triple Belgian with Citra hops, which have mm-hmm. been like, they'd crowdsource what hops they should use or crowd, yeah, I guess crowdsource, like asked which ones they should use. Um yeah. Yeah, and then also, like, um, I've been drinking some of the Blackman's Brewery XPA, Christmas XPA as well that they made, um, nice. which also I got $10 for a four-pack, reduced at Dan's. I don't know why it's just picking up loads of reduced beer at the moment, but I just mm. am. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to have that continuous Daryl maybe tonight as a little treat for myself because I've been <laughs> nice. eyeing it off. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, I think it's time for me to put another order in for a couple of things. In the north, I've got a couple of nice-looking things going on right now that I think I want to try. So I'm going to go yeah. get some more big bottles from them. And I think maybe that stomping ground pack might go down a winner as well. Tried to yeah. get something from Dainton's, but their, their range is a little bit limited in what they can do because it's obviously a bit of a smaller operation. Yeah. I wanted to get, yeah. like, a mixed pack and then, like, one of them, one of them, one of them, one of them, one of them. And, and the guy messaged me, was like, mate, look, during this time, we've not really got the capacity to do that kind of thing with all mm. the orders. So we'd recommend either just ordering them in sixes or just order like the founder's pack, which has got all our standard beers in yep. or get them from your local bottle shop. And I was like, I'd rather buy direct. And he's like, man, the bottle shops do support us and stuff as well. So we do appreciate that. But, you know, we got to keep them in, in business too. So I thought it was yeah. really nice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just order that or go to three ravens or something i don't know i'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out what i want right now it's tricky Look, but yeah, my, if, I, if you're trying to support local breweries around melbourne you're you're kind of spoiled for choice a little bit i am rather um i also know that my friend so from work messaged me she's like oh did you I heard you do the quarantinis from hop nation I'm like oh yeah super recommend it it's really really good she's like oh yeah i've just finished my third batch i was like fucking what hell f- it's a it's a dozen right yeah yeah okay so good on yourself yeah I mean, yeah I mean look i've I've been drinking a lot of beer uh during this time so i can relate well they're also doing a quarantini's box with like collaboration with like yeah, 12 or like 24 their, i think i think they're calling it their community's pack yeah that's it and i think one of those that's uh, so brian harnett from work was gonna look at getting that because he also mentioned one of the beers in there was a milk chocolate stout and i'm like that Ooh. sounds delicious yeah. Um, actually, actually, speaking of that, uh, I mean, you've probably seen Moondog have like re redone their uh, their Timothy Timothy Slamothy. Yeah, into cans. Yeah, yeah. Well, they did it cans f- the first time around. Well, I mean, was, sorry, uh, into three thirties. Yeah, or three seventy fives. But I was I was on a Zoom call with some friends the other night, and somebody had that and had some Tim Tams, and they were like, "Should I do it?" And then that was right after I joined the call. I was like, "Yes, you should do it." 
it's delicious and here's a video from a year ago of me doing it yeah, uh, and, then they, and, and then they did it and everybody on the call was like nah that'll be garbage and then he was like oh my god it's amazing it's so good someone yeah. um someone had been listening to some episodes and messaged me a friend of ours uh, a friend of the show um jordan tinker i've really got to think of a better way to do this than friend of the show every time because no seem like such friend a of the show friend of the pod yeah, i actually really i really like that phrase fair enough uh so jordan tinker messaged me he's like um uh, i think i think he said like all all tim tams should now be slammed through stout and i was like that's potentially a bit hectic and he said what about stout flavored tim tams yeah i want like holy fuck that sounds amazing yeah i mean they've done like liqueur ones before yeah like bailey's one but like can you imagine a nice like not guinness but like some kind of chocolate stout flavored one holy shit man i can we 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 did that on the show a year ago (laughs) or thereabouts yes that's kind of the point in the whole conversation isn't it yeah um but one of the things that they've been uh, promoting on their social media with the with the re-release i guess of of that beer is if you take that and you take the three ravens milkshake ipa and you combine them in a certain way uh it's apparently delicious and they moondog uh so i ordered some food from moondog world mm. last week because i'm like within range to get free delivery yeah, nice. and i got a and i got a four pack which was two of the timothy tamothy slamothy and two of the three ravens milkshake um and when the guy dropped off the food and the beer he handed me the four pack and he's just like yeah you need to try these together because it's fucking amazing like he was already trying to push it even further on me so i'm gonna do that at some point but it's basically oh, like I, like having seen the video from moondog it's like you pour the three ravens into a glass and then you put a spoon on the side of the glass upside down so that you're pouring the oh, timothy timothy down the side. Yeah, yeah so that's called like a black and tan in the uk right okay where you use guinness and bass Okay. Like a stout and a bass um, bitter. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I've, I've got like two of each. So if I fuck up the first attempt, I can have another go, essentially. Um, yeah, but I'm man. very curious to try that because apparently it's amazing. Yeah. Well, you've got to, you're going to have to, um, well, you're going to have to do that on, on camera, I think, and, oh, and share the results on me. There. I've thought of that already. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely man oh i'm I, i'm jealous and stoked and i think i might have to wander down to the beer shop later yeah there you go mm. all right speaking of beers shall we crack into this one i i, I think we should let's do all it. right so it's been a mystery to you as to what i because i gave it you in a brown paper bag like the you homeless did. person that uh yeah. need of us are um so let's make the reveal for you mike would you like to tell me what we're drinking today okay let me let me just get it out of this bag here. This is going to come through on the mic in a really interesting way. Uh, well, get out of here. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. I, I think I saw this come out. Uh, the, so we've got the Deep Creek Brewing Company. They're out of New Zealand, right? They are, yes. Yeah. Uh, where, does it, where does it say they're from? Uh, uh, Auckland. Auckland. Auckland Silverdale. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where that is. I know where Auckland is. Uh, so we've got the Misty Miyagi Hazy IPA. Yeah, man. And it's um, got a, it's got like a very kind of Japanese tattoo looking artwork of like a koi fish, yeah, and stuff so all it, over it. It's uh, part of their haiku project. Uh, Eastern philosophy oh. meets East Coast USA. Uh, Hazy okay. IPA is seasonally inspired, seasonally brewed. Mm. Um, no longer available. Uh, artwork by Frederick Lanson, for the record, and um, so apparently an Frederick. award winner. This beer, yeah. Uh, though I will say, okay. for all intents and purposes, alcohol award winning is. Um, largely can largely be bollocks some of it's quite legit and i think these aiba ones are quite good but mm-hmm. anyway 
that's neither here nor there. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, no Deep Creek. I've had a bit of their stuff before. Um, quite enjoyed it. And then when they brought out this um, like haiku project, I've had a few of these. I had the Zen one while I was um, trying to find these because I yep. couldn't find these for love nor money. Well, I did eventually mm-hmm. find them for money. Um, uh-huh. uh, oh, and these are super fresh as well. So that's really good because I was struggling. They mm. were from January this year. So that's really okay. good because I thought good, maybe they yeah. stopped brewing this because it's been difficult to find. Um, mm. should, we, should we crack into it? I think we should. So I've actually had this beer before and the cards on the table. You know me, I love a hazy IPA. I love an IPA yeah. full stop. I Dude, love a too. hazy IPA. I'm uh, right there with you. I think this is great. I think this is really yeah. tasty. It's like it's got a really nice smell to it. Mm. Um I'm trying to I'm trying to place it. Uh what does it say on the can here? Tropical flavors, mango, passion fruit, citrus, hiding. I was going to say it's that it's that passion fruit. Yeah, but like a little bit of the mango comes through mm-hmm. in the in the smell as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, def- definitely get elements of both of those in the in the taste for sure. That yeah. is delicious. Yeah, it's a really um, it's very hazy as well. Like you can't see through it at all. It's got mm. it's like a nice deep sort of um, yellowy orange amber yeah. color. Um, yeah. Very fruity, very refreshing. I wish the yeah. weather was ever so slightly nicer. This is uh, an absolutely cracking beer to have on a nice um, warm day. Yeah, um, it's not too heavy, but mm-hmm. it's definitely flavoursome, and it's, it sits at six and a half percent. So it's not you're not fucking about that. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, absolutely decent. Yeah, um, um, I'm, I'm trying to think what else to say about it because like we we we've had a few hazies for sure. Um, yeah. This, this, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this is like doing anything unusual within that, uh, within that sphere. But no, I, it's I, a very I, good one of those. Yeah, I'd entirely agree. I think it has that, um, it has that property of of not breaking the mold, mm. but um, I don't think it needs to. Doesn't have to. Like you know, no. it can be just a very good example of a product, and that's exactly yeah. what this is. I think it's a, I think it's a really decent hazy IPA. Yeah, it's like it's it's a little bit sweet. It still tastes like an IPA. Mm-hmm. It smells and tastes a bit like a bit like those citrus fruit. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's just delightful. But it, it's not it's not like some of them can be a bit boozy to the point where it starts to feel heavy. Yeah, and there's not a lot like, of bitterness either. Th- this is like walking up to that line, but not quite reaching it. Yeah, hundred percent. No, I think I think this is um, this is really good, and I think. Mm. There's a lot of people that aren't really into the hazy train um, or the New England IPAs. And I think if you are, this is a really, really good example and yeah. one that you can you know, at least you used to be able to get very readily. Um, well, I'd so say if you can get like, your hands on it. Like this one was brewed in January, you said, so it should still be possible to get it. Um, it I, I just found think. it very difficult to find. Um, okay. But it seems like maybe we're going to get a new batch. And I think they've got mm. two new sours out there. They're doing um, like a um, Hawaiian style. Um, so they've got this haiku project okay. and they've got like, I think a sour project, which is like based around Hawaiian culture and mm. artwork. Uh, I think it's like Island projects and I think it's called. Cool. So that's yeah. quite exciting. But um, yeah, the Zen one they've got at the moment is really good too. And I can't what the other one they've got going around right now is, but um, mm. yeah, highly dece. Um, yeah. Like I say, not, not changing the game, but um, playing it well. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I think I might've had, Maybe another beer from Deep Creek at one point. It might have been a it might have been a sour or a style of sour, but I remember kind of like 
not enjoying it. And that might have been before I started mm. to properly appreciate sours, to be fair. Um, so I haven't actually, as a result, I haven't actually tried that much from, from Deep Creek, but this I one recommend is them a look. really good. Yeah. I, I've had a few of their beers. I had like their Dusty Gringo, which was quite tasty and you okay. know, a few other things. Yeah. yeah really enjoyable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like Deep Creek. I think they're doing good stuff. Um, yeah. If I get over to Auckland again anytime soon, might have a little look in. Yeah. See you in six months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair play. Yeah. Um, hadn't thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else to say on it particularly? Um, no, I, I feel like I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, like I'm okay. already enjoying it and I'm like, you know, a few sips in, but, um, I love a hazy. That's, that's all I'll say. And it's a good one of those. Yeah. Fair play. And you can well, take that as my official statement. <laughs> uh, strap yourself in Daniel San as we kick into the, uh, the main topic. Okay. Y'all ready for this? Um, all right. So before we go on, I want to acknowledge my sources for today. Uh, so I have, uh, as well as just like bits of Googling, uh, Wikipedia articles and um, random bits on like Quora and stuff like that and opinion pieces, yeah. uh, I've got th- three major sources. So I've got um, a three-part series by a guy called Terence Taus Canote, who is a pop culture and movie writer. Uh, right. It was a blog he wrote from 2008. I've got an article on Medium and an article on Crack, um, two different websites. Um, Crack. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either, but it was actually a really interesting article. Uh, and <laughs> Just the way you said, I've got an article on Crack. I was like, Yeah, I thought about, about that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> tiny sip of bit, wet my whistle. Mm-hmm. Okay. 1940 saw the birth of arguably the world's most famous martial arts star, Bruce Lee. Uh, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. Bruce Lee's better. Bruce Lee. Yes. Uh, He's a, is a man who lives in a weird bubble of fame and mystery in the public consciousness, partly due to his, uh, Honkanese background during a time when East Asia was still largely an unknown and quote unquote mysterious place. Background. Sorry. Honkanese. That is correct. What does that mean? He's from Hong Kong. Oh, okay. Oh, I just, I'd never heard that word before. Ah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Um, he was actually born in, in uh, I think, Sacramento in California. Uh, mm. But, um, yeah, he, he moved to Hong Kong at about the age of right. three months old. Um, so, yeah, his, uh, his Hong Kongese background is strange and untimely death, the death of his son, Brandon, in equally weird circumstances, and uh, his seemingly supernatural physical abilities. Mm. Conspiracy theories about his life and death still exist, with various of them saying that he was things like he was assassinated, he had a cursed bloodline, uh, theories that he moved too fast for cameras to catch his movements, and that he was like, you know, supernaturally talented. And of course, my favorite, that he never died, and that instead he worked undercover for the Hong Kong police force, uh, despite the fact that, uh, despite the fact that he would be 80 years old right now. So, you know, how much undercover he's doing. But Look, it, it did all, result. All, all I'll say right now is I can already see why you chose this. Uh, this is <laughs> just, oh mate. No, just this in, just in this just in the setup, I'm hearing all of the shit that I know you love. This isn't even what it's going to be about. Like this is a weird <sighs> opening. You're gonna like this. No, oh, no, God. you're gonna appreciate this. But also, this 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 theory resulted in one of my favorite bits of TV ever, which is in The Office, where Garth Marenghi. Uh, I don't know his name. Adam something or other. The character. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a. Um, 
the IT technician in the office comes in and he's talking to Gareth and I'm just going to do it here. Uh, so Simon says, oh, you know that Bruce Lee is not dead, don't you? Yeah, it's in a book. What he did was effect his own death and so that he could work undercover for the Hong Kong police infiltrating drug gangs and triads. And Gareth's like, yeah, I reckon that's true. And then Tim behind them just goes, yeah, I reckon that's true because um, if you were going to send someone undercover to investigate the triads, you probably want the world's most famous Chinese film star. <laughs> and it's just a fucking fantastic moment which just like puts a little kibosh on that conspiracy theory yeah, nice but today i'm going to be talking about the west's short and long-lived love affair with kung fu and hong kong action movies oh okay i thought we were just going to talk about bruce lee nah but I the thing is into that i thought it was a fun cold open and also i thought like you know realistically it it's hard-pressed not to make him the center of it, so I just thought I'd yeah. get out of the way early. Yeah. So, during the 1970s, America and the West at large developed itself a short-lived love affair with Hong Kong cinema and kung mm-hmm. fu movies in general. The Hong Kong cinema landscape itself saw a huge revival in kung fu movies, uh, and it really all kind of kicked off in the 1970s with a movie called The Chinese Boxer. Um, that movie never really made it in the West, but it did heavily inspire the 1972 film, The Big Boss, which in the uh, UK and US, we know as Fists of Fury. Now, okay. that is uh, that is a Bruce Lee movie. It's probably mm-hmm. the first big Kung Fu movie in the USA. It took $2.8 million at the box office that year in the US and Canada. Right. So there's a decent amount of money. Um, Confusingly, a sequel came out a couple of years later, excuse me, one year later, called uh, Fists of Fury. Okay, great. Um, so, Not yeah, the, at all. Nope. So the, the US name that we chose was Fists of Fury, and the sequel in Hong Kong was called Fists of Fury. So the f- movie Fists of Fury had to be renamed in the US and the UK to be called The Chinese Connection. Uh, okay. But, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know why they didn't just call the first one The Big Boss, but who the fuck knows? Yeah. Um, but this really started the kung fu movie boom in the USA. And it's a craze that kind of was insanely short-lived, but also managed to last for about 30 years. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, like I, you keep saying it's short-lived, but I feel like even me growing up in, like, the 90s and the early 2000s, I was like, I feel like kung fu movies were even still, they had, like, a weird following even then. Yeah, so well, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into it a little bit and sort of explain mm. where I'm coming from, mm. but um, I want to talk a little bit about the rise, the wave, and the fall. Um, so the starting off with the rise, the, the first kung fu movies in China actually dated back to around 1919. Oh, uh, shit. So yeah, it's insanely old genre, and wow. the 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 concept of like a kung fu tale mm. dates back to the 1400s with a book called yeah. Water Margin. Um, water margin, and I'm going to be slightly pretentious here, but if if you've lived in China, there's, there are these things called the four great Chinese classics uh, and occasionally the six great Chinese classics. There is, um, just just to, just to clarify, you say this as someone who lived in China for a bit. Well, like, yeah, I'm saying it like, cause I know that because of that, not because I know about Chinese culture. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So the four great Chinese classics are, um, water margin, uh, journey to the West, uh, romance of the three kingdoms and uh fuck i forget the other one's called i think it's called like red room i might have made that one up um i'm pretty sure i've written it down later on yeah uh, but they are like the four quintessentially very important chinese historical novels and they are considered to be some of the earliest written novels ever um, okay and they're also insanely long 
Okay. They're just like, hey, we figured out how to make books. Look at this fucking big book, though. Yeah, they're very long. This is the second time we've actually covered a little bit of Chinese ancient literature on the show as well, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but the genre of the Kung Fu classic in um, in, in uh, China is mm-hmm. called uh, Wuxia. And it's um, and I'm probably butchering the... Um, pronunciation what's it called um the tones because i got yeah. to look those up but wuxia um means i think it was um war a uh, fighting story i think it was okay. um and it is essentially the same thing as westerns in the usa like country and like western mm-hmm. movies um yeah. or in japan they have something called chanbara um which is samurai or sword fighting movies and that is that these are uh, you know movies books whatever they are tales of a legendary past um, yeah. And it was a really big thing. And the US had had some exposure to these and to martial arts and to this sort of tale through mm-hmm. uh, essentially British, American, European and Japanese imperialism throughout the 18 and 1900s, especially right. at the time when they basically just carved up um, the business interests and indeed the actual country of and indeed the people of China um during um japan's occupation of china which i'm not gonna go sure. into it was an absolutely horrible yeah, time that, japan did that's some a awful whole, things. that's a whole different story yeah and also i want to keep this fairly light um, yeah, as much as possible i guess with, the, with yeah. the context yeah um so judo had actually made its way to the usa in the early 1900s i think mm-hmm. 1903 and followed you know it followed by that um then World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam. Basically, it had given Americans about 30-plus years of exposure, young American men, 30 years of exposure to varied Eastern cultures. Mm. And a lot of returning GIs actually brought back a lot of the culture. They wanted to spread these things throughout the USA, whether yeah. it was language, whether it was just like, you know, food. Some of it was martial culture. I mean, these guys yeah. were soldiers. You know, Better they, ways to punch people. Yeah, 100%. Um in 1945, the first karate dojo opened in the U.S., and hmm. by the 50s and 60s, they were, like, peppered throughout the entire country. Um, wow. There is lots of interesting articles I read about, you know, the the value of the American style of teaching in karate, but, you know, I'm not going to go into that. Yeah. That's not, again, again, what this podcast that's is about. Another, that's another episode if you want it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, it'll be a, a very nerdy episode, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, but then in the 50s... Um, Random movie stars in action movies would start uh, utilizing judo as action set pieces. It it was a little bit more interesting, a little bit more unusual than just having someone do a punch up. Um, And it kind of gave somebody like an otherworldly or like a a next level knowledge of the fighting arts. If this if this action character pulled a judo move on someone coming to like duff them up rather than just being like grab them and nut them. It was a bit more like. Oh, God, he's so refined and badass. Um, And then there was a British TV show called The Avengers in the 60s. Nothing related to what we know as The Avengers, uh, which I think we discussed before, but had a remake in the early 2000s featuring um, Uma Thurman. But that uh, Uma Thurman's character, Emma Peel, um, in the 60s version, and Kathy Gale were both expert martial artists because they were Mm -hmm. action heroines. And it was like, how can these women beat up? guys you know twice their size well Mm -hmm. because they have mastery of martial arts right yeah um as i say there was a boom in schools at this time bruce lee himself even opened two schools including one at the university of washington there was a realistically the the like desire to learn the 
the Asian fighting arts, and I'm putting that in heavy air quotes, were like yeah. pretty large. Um, and at this time, Hong Kong was sort of making a, the Hong Kong movie scene was making a move away from the traditional wuxia movies, which was set in a historical context. You know, usually mm-hmm. in like the warring, uh, you know, uh, periods of China hundreds of years previously. Yeah. Um, which is still a hugely, hugely popular genre over there for the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Were they just trying to like modernize their films in terms mm. of like the context and the settings and things like that? Yeah, that's it. The, the, the Hong Kong cinema and Chinese cinema sat quite separately and Hong Kong cinema mm. moved towards a more contemporary setting. Yeah. And that's why we've ended up with things like John Woo movies, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, um, you know. Um, so what happened was there was an independent US movie called Billy Jack, which was actually a spinoff of another movie. Um, and it was an independent movie. It didn't really have a whole lot of backing, but um, it was picked up by Warner Brothers because mm-hmm. it was quite a cheap um thing to distribute and it was like a bit of a gamble for them but it had a character yeah. from another show that another movie that had done quite well so they were like well fuck it um and it was a massive success okay billy jack actually the character of billy jack uh was a green beret part native american a vietnam vet and a karate expert which like that's, uh, that's a lot of aka's it's, yeah, it's it's such a 70s like concept. It's just like such a and also I wanna see that movie. Um Yeah, I was I was actually gonna ask, like, of all these movies you're gonna reference today, how many have you seen? Uh a few. Not as many as I would like. Because I sure. so I'm I'm quite a nerd and I'll probably go into it a little bit in time, but I've done martial arts for quite a while when I was younger and going through this and actually in a mm. recent sort of like spate of time recent myself, I'm actually quite tempted to get back into it because I was I was insanely in shape and I was mm. also like very healthy and just a little bit more like self-assured, just like a bit more like confident, yeah. you know, because yeah. I, I, I felt, I felt, uh, um, geez, I don't want to say like confident and safe or anything like that, but you know, I, 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 I was, I was, my reactions were a little bit faster. I was mm-hmm. moving a little more gracefully around the world and I was just a little bit more um, quick uh, in shape. I wasn't fucking lazy and, you know, just a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. more disciplined, it felt, as a, as a sure. person. So I think about getting back into it like a real nerd. So some of these movies, yes, I have seen. Yeah. Um, I've never seen Billy Jack. Quite tempted. Uh, yeah, a lot of these I haven't even heard of before so far. So Yeah, you, you and I have lived very different nerd journeys. Yes, um, we have. So Warner Brothers, as I say, ended up distributing this and they saw the writing on the wall and they ended up... Um, being the studio which actually did distribute most of the Kung Fu movies in the US throughout the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but before all the movies really took off, what came first was uh, Kung Fu, the TV show. Oh, I was like, I mean, I've heard of Kung Fu. The what art. are you getting at? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been around for ages. Um, yeah. Kung Fu starring choke wank specialist, uh, the late, great David Carradine. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah, dude, David Carradine. Do you know who David Carradine is? He was, uh, I think, the th- is he the guy in, he's, he's Bill in Kill Bill, right? He is, yeah. Yeah, he, but he, like, that's probably the thing I know him best from. Well, the reason he got that part is because he starred in Kung Fu and then, like, as a result, a lot of Kung Fu movies and stuff like that. But yeah, right. he died in an autoerotic asphyxiation accident. Because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the Kill Bill movies, he does basically no fighting. Uh, he does a little bit of sword fighting. Um, yeah, like in, uh, one, in one scene, I think, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that movie is heavily heavily stylized to be yeah, probably yeah, yeah. quite like a lot of the genre that i maybe haven't seen um sure. especially okay. at the japanese schools um yeah but yeah so kung fu kung fu is about the shaolin priest half chinese half american 
Kwai Chang Kane, uh, who was forced to flee China after mm-hmm. he killed the uh, person who murdered his teacher. Um, unfortunately, that person turned out to be the emperor of China's nephew. What? So Quang, uh, Kwai Chang Kane flees to America during the time of the Old West uh, and searches for his half-brother, Danny Kane. He is pursued by bounty hunters. He faces injustice all along the way. Uh, and he's often used to f- forced to use his kung fu to defend himself and others. It's the reluctant hero, just like the lone gunman in Western movies and the lone samurai in Japanese movies. It's the like, yeah. uh, hmm, I said I'd never use my fists again. Ah, but everyone's so oppressed. I better save the day. Yeah, but the way you were describing martial art meets American Western, all I could think of was Shanghai Nights. Shanghai Noon, whichever one came first. The Jackie Chan uh, and Owen yeah. Wilson vehicle. <laughs> Shanghai Noon, yeah. Um, which, great. Um, yeah. <laughs> so th- this, this, uh, this TV show had a lot of like uh, Eastern mysticism, Taoism. He often like mm-hmm. would pop out little bits of uh, random Taoist like um, phrases and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, herbal medicine, like he practiced Chinese herbal medicine. He sat playing like a reed flute. Um, okay. Lots of sense of honor, etc. And yeah, you yeah, might yeah. you might recognize the the term grasshopper from it, which is yeah. a lot of the flashbacks were his teacher giving him cryptic lessons mm. and calling him grasshopper. Okay. Um, so you know that same sort of like cryptic lessons that then spilled over into things like the Karate Kid, which of course hence Misty Miyagi the beer. Yeah, no, I figured. Uh, I figured Karate Kid was going to come in at some point today. Sweet, yeah, because I just suddenly realized I hadn't mentioned it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, look, I, I know Mr. Miyagi, but uh, are we getting to that yeah. anytime soon? Looks at watch. <laughs> Quite at the end, to be honest. Um, yeah. Also, fun fact, in the uh, spin-off TV movie, Kung Fu, colon, the movie, um, oh, God. Uh, Brandon Lee plays Carradine's love child. So Bruce Lee's son plays Carradine's love child, which I think is... okay. Kind of a weird, interesting tidbit. <laughs> um, so this was the beginning of the wave. And by right. 1973, people were going um, Kung Fu crazy. I wish I had something better than that. That really embarrasses myself. Uh, Kung Fu crazy is fine. Like, I don't know what else you'd do without potentially offending someone. Yeah, I really wish I'd spelled crazy with a K because I did it in my head. Um, <laughs> no, there's too many Ks. You're, you're getting close to a limit. You're getting there. close. Yep. Um so, the, uh, yeah, sorry, by the time um, Enter the Dragon comes out in 1973, which is arguably, like, it's seen as probably the best kung fu movie. Have you seen Enter the Dragon, Mike? I will tell you right now, I've not seen a single movie with Bruce Lee in it. You're genuinely missing out. Enter the Dragon is a fantastic action movie, mm. thriller, and there's, like, mad shit going on. It's, it's, it's a genuinely good film, whether you're into, like, kung fu or whatever. It's cool. Right. Um, well, hang on. Into, into the Dragon, like, uh, do they? If you haven't seen any Bruce Lee movies, then you haven't seen it. Uh, no, 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 but didn't they have it? Wasn't there another movie by the name Into the Dragon that came out much later? No, so there's, I, no, um, okay. I can I can go into like there's Way of the Dragon and lots of other of the dragons and stuff like that. So yeah, there's also some, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Well, yeah, I've seen that. Um, okay. No, I might be I might be remembering something with a similar but slightly different name, but. Uh, yeah, it rang possibly. a bell in a way that I wasn't prepared for. <laughs> uh, fair That's enough. Right. Th- Keep moving. Keep moving. Okay. To your um, episode. So that came out in 1973. And 
Uh, actually, I've just put seen in my notes here, the US was already swamped with Kung Fu fever, bracket, yes, I'm going with that, close bracket. So uh, apparently I didn't say Kung Fu crazy. I said Kung Fu fever. Yeah, um, yeah, that's okay. Just all about that alliteration. Yeah. So to promote this movie, the studio spent a million dollars on an ad campaign, which at the time was like pretty unprecedented, yeah. especially for a movie like this. Mm. Um, but they also engaged in an insane marketing campaign, which included... Okay. Free karate lessons, illustrated flip books, comic books, and then of course like the standard like interviews, public appearances, posters, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all this sort of stuff. But like classic press yeah, junket. fucking kind of wild. And the yeah. film has an insane legacy. It's it it was selected as one of Empire's top five hundred all time films. Um and Out it of was like select- a relatively niche genre. No, no. All time films. Yeah, I know, but like they've they've oh. picked a relatively niche genre film for that list. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. there's been a lot of movies. Five hundred's a lot. Mm. Um five hundred's mm-hmm. not a lot in consideration, sorry. Um yeah. it was also selected as culturally significant by the Library of Congress and selected for preservation in the National Film Registry. Yeah. You dude, so, if you ever look up the Library of Congress, like they have a weird amount of stuff across all sorts of different pop culture, like Cool, There's man. a whole bunch of video games that get stored and archived there. Mm-hmm. Um, things that you just wouldn't expect. It's super fascinating. Dude, the British Library has to take a copy of every book published in the UK, or at least used to. It has to take a copy of every mm. book published in the UK, which means that there's some like mad like fan fiction, like homemade yeah. erotica, but then also just like lots of grot in the British Library. It's quite funny. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sadly, Enter the Dragon was actually released one month after Bruce Lee's untimely death. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm actually not going to go into his death because there's a whole lot of stuff out there about it. And I actually don't know too much about it. But, you know, yeah. he was quite young. It was very unfortunate. Something um, he basically dropped into a coma and died over oh, right. um, uh, just like out of nowhere. Too was, much Kung Fu. Um, that, uh, two people speculate that he was in too good a shape and like his body was just like under so much Fuck pressure off. all the time. <laughs> well, no, because people say like, oh, he's, he's like. He was constantly working out and all this sort of stuff, and his body just couldn't handle okay. it. And eventually, but like that, I could see maybe an argument for. Uh, it's ridiculous, um, yeah. but yeah. But the 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 boom had kicked off, and there was cash to be made, my friend. Sweet oh, yeah. bunts. So, as well as classes, clubs, lessons, there was equipment uh, from, and I'm quoting from a. Um, uh, blog here uh, everything from that most impractical combat f- form of combat footwear the kung fu slipper to reproduction samurai swords and brackets and i swear to god brackets uh special dartboard for throwing shurikens at which you know actually i don't think is that necessarily a bad idea but um well, yeah like i imagine it's just a bit thicker than a regular dartboard because those things have much bigger blades on them than like a dart might penetrate oh yeah well i had um I had throwing knives and a special dartboard for that when I was younger and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, well, big old blades it. on those things. Yeah, you need yeah, it. Hell yeah. Um, but yeah, like this was this was like the time people were like, "Well, sweet, let's pump out loads of repro merchandise and stuff like that." Yeah. Um, and men across America, and it was largely men of all ages, suddenly got the idea that Eastern ideals were the pinnacle of culture, uh, uh-huh. which is something that you might have noticed we can't even shake now. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warner Brothers at the time were actually on the verge of bankruptcy before they saw the popularity of Kung Fu genre abroad and before Billy Jack. And right. they jumped on this with both hands. Uh, and I've put in brackets here, tiger style, if you will. 
I won't, I'm, but you you can if you like. Because I'm a dick. <laughs> um, but the other good thing about this was that for them as a movie distributor, mm-hmm. these movies were insanely cheap to buy the rights for. You go to Hollywood to buy the rights to distribute a yeah. movie there. But well, I suppose you so have it's like it's probably before like Hong Kong and Chinese cinema realize what they've got on their hands. A hundred percent. Yeah. If they can just sweep in early and quick, they can just grab it all yeah. basically. Yeah, hundred percent. They were paying the Shaw Brothers fuck all for the movies. Shaw yeah. Brothers were like prolific Hong Kong um, movie directors and producers that made a load right. of kung fu movies. Yep. Um, yeah, they were paying them pennies on the dollar to basically get these movies and distribute them yeah. and make a fuckload. It saved it saved Warner Brothers without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and then um, on top of this, at the same time, 1972, President Nixon was the first U.S. president to visit China while in office. Really? Like first ever? Yes. That is wild. Isn't it? Because he doesn't strike me as someone who likes other countries. Or anything. I mostly well, know him from Futurama. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing I love is my damn dog checkers. <laughs> Shut up, damn it! <laughs> that's, um, that's real good. <laughs> thanks. Uh, my, my Nixon's great. Hang on. Yeah, there you go. There's that um, good stuff. Wow, that looks really, really ridiculous on the. Um, I'll bet it does. I can't wait to see that waveform. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, so he, uh, so that like realistically. Um, it stoked interest in the country and their culture. Mm. And like realistically, don't forget this is communist China at the time. Like we now know China as like a weird and secretive country, but is open. Yeah, uh, this is nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fifty years ago. Uh huh. Um, so the actual craze of Hong Kong kung fu movies in the U.S. actually only lasted from about nineteen seventy-two to nineteen seventy-four. In terms of like American companies buying the rights and redistributing. Well, at one point, there were four Hong Kong kung fu movies in the top 10 billboard like movies of the year. All right. So you're talking more about like public consciousness and appreciation for those films. Yeah. For, pe- for people yeah. actually consuming and going to see yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Like four of the top 10. Yeah. It's insane. And then after 74, it just went and off a cliff and it just so, stopped being so popular. So what kind of took its place or did it just kind of go away? Well, the thing is, what what it ended up doing was that like martial arts stuff started just dripping into other genres. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like you used to start seeing people who knew martial arts in westerns, mm. in cop thrillers, in comedy movies, stuff yeah. like that. And uh, it kind of the genre itself went kind of quiet outside of you know specific audiences and and, right. and home movie crowds. Suddenly, like the idea of consuming Hong Kong-made kung fu movies, mm. just kind of dropped off. So it's kind of like four years of just like a shot in the arm of like, here's something different. Try this with everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like when you get that new hot sauce and you're like, I'm gonna put this in everything. I was about to make the same fucking joke. <laughs> wow, that's that's fucking weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it fucking works. Yeah, um, accurate. So, so to to give you an idea of like what that lull was like. Mm. So Bruce Lee is obviously probably the number one Kung Fu movie star that we all know. Yeah. Who's number, who's number two? I don't know, maybe Jet Li. But that's really like, would, that's modern. I'm very annoyed that you went with Jet Li as opposed to the very obvious Jackie Chan. Yeah. I, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I don't know we, enough about, since we like, spoke about him three times already. Yeah. I don't know enough about like <laughs> martial arts styles to know like who does what out of that 
sort of uh, to be honest stable. with you mate if you'd said someone and i'd have been like that's taekwondo you bell end i think i would have probably just ended the podcast <laughs> and that's an episode see you later no that's the episode that's yeah. the podcast done just uh just be glad i didn't say chuck norris you already did once anyway yeah, but not ne- so- not to answer that question hmm to give you an idea of like how dead it went, basically. So mm. in the 1970s, in the early 70s, Jackie Chan was a stuntman working alongside Bruce Lee in a lot of his movies. So he was in Enter the Dragon. He was in Fist of Fury and yeah. stuff like this. Um, it wasn't actually until the late 70s and early 80s that Jackie Chan kind of developed his own style with the like comedy action movies that he got the break. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost slapstick. Yeah, it, it 100% is. So yeah. he's very, very heavily influenced by Harold Lloyd, who is a 1920s silent movie slapstick comedy star. Amazing. Yeah, it's hugely, hugely inspired by that guy. Just before um, you go on, how much stuff have you got in here about Jackie Chan? Because I have like a weird appreciation for him just knowing about like his stunt crew and the way that he supports them. So I I haven't really spoke too much about that, but it it, yeah. it is insane. So yeah. I will actually cover like an off the cuff bit in in, yeah, in yeah, this yeah. in a second. But um, so if you know a little bit about the Kung Fu movies, you might have heard of, or you might know, seen, you might have heard of. Um, so Jackie Chan movies, Drunken Master and Police yeah. Story. Yeah, I've, um, I've definitely heard of, not seen though. Yeah, absolutely. So Jack, uh, so like I say, he was in these movies in 1972, 1973, Bruce Lee. Drunken mm. Master was like his breakout movie in Hong Kong that he started in. That was 78. Yeah. So he had like five years of like nothing working away in the scenes. And like, this wasn't a big thing in America. Police Story, 1985, huge in Hong Kong, not a big thing in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all had various sequels and stuff like that. Do you know, it wasn't until 1995 that Jackie Chan broke through in the, in the West. Yeah, I mean that makes sense because like I don't, I don't really remember ever hearing much about his stuff until no, but, sort of after but that. Like, you think about it; he's been doing this for years by this point. Ninety-five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not a young man. No. Um, and also, so the stunt thing you're talking about, police story, the really interesting one of that. Mm. That's like a really famous one. Is where he is in a shopping center, and he jumps, grabs on the light pole, and slides down it, and the and then like drops off into a. I think I like threw a, like a shop roof and onto the floor. Mm. Mm. In doing that stunt, he jumped onto the light pole and slides down, and smashes all the glass lights on the way down. The lights had actually turned that pole like red hot. So on the, as he's sliding down, he's getting all the friction and pain from that. The smashing of the light bulbs. He got second degree burns on his hands because the metal was so hot. Yeah. And then he dislocated his pelvis when he hit the shop roof and then right. like hit the floor. And I think he broke like a couple of other bones. Mm-hmm. Jackie Chan's stunt shit is bananas. Yeah, he doesn't fuck around. <laughs> no, it's it's. Yeah. There's a really, really, really funny cracked article by a guy named Sean Baby about Jackie Chan's most drunk, most mad stunts, and mm-hmm. it includes one of the funniest lines I've ever read, which is uh, talking about Drunken Master, and it's like, oh, t- to achieve this level of uh, heroism, Jackie Chan's character has to be a very specific level of drunk, and that level of drunk is colon fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I can relate to that in a big way. Yeah. Also, I'd like to, I'd like to potentially redact the sentence colon fucking. Um, but yeah, just put a bit of a gap between those words. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll do that in post. It's fine. Great, Mighty Boosh quote. I want to see myself yeah. on the front of a uh, magazine. Howard Moon colon explorer. Howard Moon colon explorer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so 
yeah, like in in the in the kind of like late nineties, uh, mid to late nineties, we had actually a bit of a um, a revival of the genre because Jackie Chan's mm-hmm. star was quite quite burning, quite bright. Yeah. Um. So we had things like Rumble in the Bronx, that was his breakthrough in the US, as I say, and then yeah. things like Rush Hour, which dude. If I was you look at you get it to Rush Hour, I fucking love. I, I think I've only seen maybe the first two of those. Well, they do three. I think that's fine. I think, oh, I think so. Yeah, so entertaining. But like I the think, Jackie Chan Chris Tucker combination is nuts. It's so good, and I'll actually kind of cover it slightly later. But also, uh-huh. by the way, if you look back at that movie now, hella inappropriately racist oh, at yeah. times. But I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, w- "This is like Jackie Chan oh, stuff sick. is amazing." And then Chris Tucker is just like someone I'd never seen before when I first watched those movies, and I was like, "Who the fuck is this character?" Yeah, and then after I wasn't that, familiar I went with back it. and watched Friday with him and Ice Cube, and boy, was that a whiplash! <laughs> Class, nice. Yeah. Well, I, I remember the first time I came to Australia to visit my partner at the time, Steph, who I moved over here for. Mm-hmm. I um, that's context for the readers, listeners, because you already know this shit. The readers, oh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> just start. You just start putting in like editor opinions like yeah, the yeah. edit <laughs> welcome to the hebrew op-ed column yeah uh this is the director's cut of hebrew yeah um, yeah anyway so like i um yeah we, we were like uh traveling around australia a little bit we went down the great ocean road and we we're staying in a cabin and we put the tv on one night we were just chilling out on the sofa having some drinks and then it was like and next on channel nine rush hour and we just turned to each other and fucking high-fived and it's like oh this relationship's gonna go well <laughs> dude okay so, i have a very similar story uh I was staying with a friend of mine, uh, James. I don't know if he listens to this, but uh, we were about to go to like a frisbee better. tournament, um, and we had booked an Airbnb at a at a town because it was like an hour and a half drive to get to this place. We flew into this town, stayed a night there, and then and drove out the next day. But we had gone and bought a bottle of whiskey, which we were intending to like take to this frisbee tournament at the weekend. And we got to this Airbnb. We just sat down. We we're hanging out. We turned on the TV, and it's like up next, Fast and the Furious. So we're like, well. I guess we're yes. opening this bottle of whiskey and then cut to us over the course of Fast and the Furious with ad breaks, mind you. So it was like a little bit longer. Went through the entire bottle of whiskey just between two yeah. of us. That's <laughs> excellent. Such a good time. Also, the Fast and the Furious movies are great and I won't hear yeah. anything bad and about that, them. That led to us like for the entire weekend that we were hanging out, just calling everybody Brian. Like going back to Barstow, Brian. Just, uh, it was just... Those jokes persist to this day. I'll say that much. <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so going back on on to this. Yeah. Please so, get on topic. <laughs> that's all cool. So from this point, yeah, we saw the revival of the kung fu genre a little bit. Um, Rush Hour, which obviously, like we said, you know, came out in the sort of mid nineties, mm-hmm. um, and then we saw the the rising star of Jet Li. Um, yeah. He started coming through. Who again? Starring in loads of movies back home in Hong Kong and Chinese mm. movies um, across a period of many years. And then it, his career really lifted in the US in 1998 when he was in Lethal Weapon 4, which also that's right. Fucking great series of movies. Yes. Um, and then he went on to just make a series. So this was 1998. And then throughout the 2000s, he just went on to make like a shitload of great movies. Mm. Um, including The One, which is just good. Uh, the One. Oh, my God. Yes. That's good. Um, <sighs> a, uh, a movie which I really like, um, and I actually think is just a really good movie, is Unleashed, uh, which is about... Well, it's about the... Um, uh, it's about... A, it's a historical 
semi-fictional because it takes slight liberties, but it's a historical mm-hmm. um, biographical movie about a guy named Huo Yanjia, um, who started like the first um, wushu schools in the US, I believe. Okay. Um, or like the first international wushu federation, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's genuinely really cool. I like that movie a lot. I watched it mm-hmm. quite recently. Um, and then like Hero, which was a really cool uh, story about, and I think it's actually based off an old, 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 old Chinese epic about a guy who tells like four stories of, of like his great uh, achievements and they're all like, right. as he tells them, you're like, this guy's talking bollocks, but they're like wicked and also beautifully directed and shot. Okay. Um, and then he went on to do The Forbidden Kingdom, which is uh, also alongside Jackie Chan, which is circular based on Journey to the West, which is another one of those four Chinese classics that we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, and, and then... The, the trail on is that, you know, for that short period of like two years in the US, mm. there's a reason that w- there there's a reason that there are careers of and that we know names like Sammo Hung, Chow Young Fat, Donnie Yen, Jim Kelly, Tony Jaa, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and even Chuck Norris. Yeah. These yeah. names are familiar to us. Even if you don't watch the movies or like you're not necessarily a big Kung Fu fan, you might have mm. heard of these people. Yeah. Like... Um, even like Tony, to- Tony Tony Jaa, man, those Ong Bak films—they're fucking uh, rad. Actually, have you seen The Protector? Yes, the, like, it's the wild. Tarantino produced or directed—I can't remember which one he did—but it's is like, it? yeah, no, Quentin Tarantino is involved in that. But it's basically the man has lost his pet elephant and is fucking yeah. destroying people to find it again. It's so so rad. So the like that Fast and the Furious story I told you, same friend James. <laughs> the first time me and him ever really hung out properly, we got cases of beer and watched Tony Jar films, but we made yeah, a drinking awesome. ga- we made a drinking game out of it, which was you take a drink every time he hits someone with an elbow, a knee, or any time he does something which you previously thought was impossible for a human to do. Yeah, you'd be hammered quite Yeah, no, oh, we got fuck, fucked. <laughs> we got so done. Because like there's there's one scene I think in like maybe Ongbak or Ongbak Two where he jumps from street level and kicks out a streetlight. That's Ongbak One. Yeah, and then there's another I love one, those movies. And there's another one where he comes like flying in out of frame to hit a man in the face with his knee, but he he starts higher than the man's head, mm-hmm. and it's you, you watch that you watch that shot and you're like, how the fuck did this happen? Man, Tony Jaa is now, by the way, 45 years old. Um, That's nuts. Yes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I was looking this up yesterday and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, th- those movies are, are they the, the, are the, pr- the Protector has this one shot, which I cannot believe even still, where it's like, it's this big tower, and it's got like, it's basically like, it's a staircase that essentially goes around the outside of it going up. And mm-hmm. the entire, it's a, it, the whole thing is one shot with no cuts. The camera is just going up through the middle of this thing, rotating, following Tony Jaa up as he beats the shit out of people on his yeah. way to the top of the tower. Fuck, it's incredible. Well, th- this kind of shot that you see, um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like, a, a, for want of a better word, not a staple of the genre, but obviously inspired by the genre. Mm. But you, if you're familiar with that movie, with Old Boy, the Korean movie. If you've ever seen no. that, that's a great no. movie. Okay. Fantastic. Um, depressing, but fantastic. Uh, <laughs> the Raid. Um, d- I still need man. to watch The Raid movies. Uh, I'd watch Old Boy first. I'd see it. Old Boy okay. is okay. phenomenal. Uh, Old Boy is like Oscar worthy. 
Wow. Okay. He might have even been nominated for one. Dude, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, dear. Um, but yeah. So so. But this is the thing. You don't even watch kung fu movies, and 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 you know of these people. You know of these movies. Yeah. You know of these things. I I would say like I've watched a few. Uh, I just I haven't watched enough to like really go all in on this topic. Yeah. Or, feel, or feel comfortable doing so. Yeah. That's fair enough. I think, um, personally, I think it'd be a fun discovery tour that you could enjoy. Uh, dude, but yeah, you want to get a bunch of beers and watch some kung fu movies? I'm down. Yeah, a hundred percent, dude. I've been, <laughs> I, I, that is all I ever want. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so as I say, there's a reason these guys have careers. There's a reason that we know their names. There's a reason that we've mm-hmm. heard of their movies. There's a reason that they're part of the public consciousness, even if you're not into the genre. And there's yeah. a reason why we had not one, not two, not three, four Karate Kid movies two spin-off series and very soon a broadway musical wait they're doing a musical yep oh my god and i'd like to add that pat morita who uh fair play has died um the year of karate kid he was the guy who played uh mr miyagi right it was indeed yeah he was nominated for an oscar for best supporting actor for that role wow he lost out to a guy named, and I'm probably going to potentially mispronounce this, but Dith Pran, okay. who was in the movie The Killing Fields, which, if you're not familiar, is the uh-huh. movie about the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Yeah, they made us watch that in social studies when I was in school. Yeah, I've seen that small amounts dark. of it. It is an insanely dark, yeah. like, true sort of story. Oh, it's a dark subject matter, but that film is also, they, mm. don't, they don't pull punches. No, there's no fucking way. That is, a, that is a sad, harrowing, depressing yeah. film. Imagine that beating out Karate Kid for the yeah. Best Supporting Actor nomination. Yeah, you'd be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, but also like, why are they both in that? Like, it's weird that yeah. they were both in that category. Yeah. Like, imagine I mean, if Karate Kid had won that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, like, it depends the year the film comes out, like, who you're up against and all that sort of stuff. Like, Best Supporting Actor is not, like, a genre-based award. No, no. A couple of the others were a bit mad as well, to be perfectly honest with you, but, yeah. you know, still. Um, yeah. And then, uh, of course, you know, th- th- this all led to things like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm. House of Flying Daggers, which were the highly stylized, incredibly beautiful yeah. Um traditional style wuxia movies like the mm-hmm. they're like um the ones that we discussed obviously before which were set historically as opposed to sort of more contemporary movies mm-hmm. uh they were hugely successful in the west i think crowd and tiger won a won an oscar or two and then there's a reason that quentin tarantino had such success with kill bill because you know these ronin movies and stuff like that he grew up on yeah. um these kung fu movies that inspired kill bill uh, and well, for the love of God, Star Wars, but like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was a big inspiration for the Matrix and the way that they used martial arts. Yes, hundred percent. I was going to say it, as another one that's heavily, heavily inspired by all this but, genre, but almost to the point. I think I think there's a term called wirefu to kind of describe yes. the the fighting uh, choreography because they're kind of just they're all suspended by wires because they're like suspended in midair while they're doing all these fight scenes. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. That's a bit more of the like supernatural fighting and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but in, in Star Wars, Star Wars was inspired by Western movies and mm-hmm. by um, uh, samurai movies. Yeah, I could see George it. Lu- yeah. George, George Lucas definitely saw these movies potentially before like 1970s, like mm-hmm. early 70s. But Star Wars came out in 77. 
He yeah. was definitely inspired by these 72, 73, like, kung fu mm. movies that were coming through because that's the genre that was making its way through. I mean, well, a little yeah, bit like, more on the Japanese side with, like, the, you know, Seven Samurai, but still. Yeah, like, if because he, he would have been around the industry early 70s. He would have no doubt come 100%. across some of the stuff by then. Yeah, for sure. Yes, 100%. I mean, American Graffiti came out, I think, like, three, four years before Star Wars. Very different mm. movie, but, mm. you know. Um and it's off the back of America's very short-lived obsession with kung fu movies for two years in the early 70s. Mm. A very short-term fad, and it's a hugely enduring consequence. Yeah. And it's kind of mad. But, and this is the fall, I think. I think we're actually in that position right now, which is that the genre has gone quiet on us of late. Um, mm. I really don't expect it to stay that way. I genuinely think we're going to see probably a revival of it in the next five, 10 years. Um, the thing is, I think a lot of Kung Fu movies went a little bit too stylized and too smart, yeah. especially with the growth of Chinese cinema. This is going to sound potentially quite offensive, but a lot of Chinese cinema I see, it tries to be too clever and it loses some of it. Like It's like when you watch an action movie, it's too overdone and you're like, it's kind of lame. Like I prefer it a little bit raw. Yeah, like I, I, I don't think I've seen any Chinese cinema ever, so I couldn't really um, comment on that. That's fair um, enough. Like everyone's just too cool and too suave, and all of their gadgets right. are just too implausible and too cool. Right. And, okay. And like all of their kung fu is just too precise and too. It's not. It's just too smooth. Okay. Like everything. Like a lot of Chinese movies are a bit like that, and I and I and I, I'm slamming an entire genre of movies that mm -hmm. I don't know much about there, but that's my take on what I've seen. Um, right. But what I think is interesting is that in the last 10 plus years, it's fallen to other nations mm. outside of Hong Kong, China to bring us those great movies. So we already discussed Ong Bak and The Protector. Uh, the mm -hmm. Protector, by the way, in Thailand is known as Tom Yong Gung, which is actually a um, uh, fish dish. Um, yeah, I, feel, I was going to say, I feel like I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's the Raid series coming out of Indonesia. India mm -hmm. put out a movie this year called The Kung Fu Master, which had pretty fucking good reviews by the looks of it. Donnie okay. Yen keeps going back on his promises Donnie, not to make Donnie any Yen more. Donnie Yen was it, in uh, Rogue One, right? Uh, yes, he was, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, fuck, what's I knew, that I, knew I knew that name from somewhere. He's he's like the blind monk with the with the staff. Yeah, the forces with me. The for oh, what's the yeah, fuck he saying? forces with me, forces with you. Something like yeah, that. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. He's actually very cool. Yeah, but he yeah. he made um, two If Man movies. If Man was a is a is a real person. He's the guy who taught Bruce Lee kung fu, right? And he was a, a very very important figure in um in the movement in mm -hmm. kind of like Hong Kong folk politics and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, the movies are to be believed. It's actually a really interesting set of movies. Mm. The If Man movies. I really like them. Um, he uh, made two of those movies about Hit, Hit Man's life and he's like, oh, I'm not going to make any more. And he made a third one. He's like, I'm done with that. You know, I've, I've told the story of Hit Man. Yeah, he's just okay, released Hit Man 4. Yeah. Hit Man 4's out. This is like yeah. when Liam Neeson said he's not going to make um, any Another more Taken, taken movies. Movie. Yeah, it's yeah, like, he's how like, many times is your family going to get kidnapped? You're just a bad dad and a bad husband. Leave them alone. Exactly right. And then the third one, <laughs> and then he's like, the third one came running, running him into yeah, some, yeah, some yeah. bunts. Yeah. Uh, and also Donnie Yen inexplicably just put out a movie that when you mentioned Enter the Dragon earlier and whether or not you'd seen something like it, Donnie mm. Yen's just put out a movie that did not need to happen inexplicably. Enter the Fat Dragon, which is just about <laughs> like an o overweight kung fu expert. And I'm just like, no, this, <laughs> this doesn't panda. need to be. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, so I do think, I do genuinely think we're going to see a new series of kung fu movies in time. Um, 
I genuinely think the thing the nail in the coffin was the Matrix because we stopped associating kung fu mm. movies with anything other than black leather trench coat wearing samurai sword owning incels yeah. basically yeah the, the, there's a bit of a um unfortunate correlation there um you know like yeah. the the, ins- the inspiration might have been genuine but it's kind of yeah it has over time taken on a very different kind of image um, yeah 100% yeah like i w- i would love to see like a resurgence of kind of martial art films but in a very like realistic kind of sense of like no this is what fights would actually fucking look like not this like highly stylized kind of very precise choreography stuff well it's interesting you say that because that's what happened to bond movies yeah they moved away from the old model um to be more like heavily inspired by Mm. jason bourne because jason uh, because the bourne movie fight scenes heavily inspired daniel craig's fight scenes throughout these bond movies yeah i feel like i need to go back and watch bourne films because i think i might have only seen the first one I think I've I seen, seen them for years ages ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same. Um, I've seen it years ago and probably once, twice. Yeah. And that's the only one, but that was the thing. It was like, it was stopped being about these like incredibly graceful and like start and like precise battles and more brawls, smashing yeah. things up and just like rolling around, beating the shit out of each other. Um, yeah. and yeah. And, and, and it kind of did for the whole genre. Uh, and yeah, The Matrix became a bit of a thing to lampoon because while The Matrix was good, the sequels were a bit of a piss take. It had a weird smell about it from the um, the fans. Mm. And then things like uh, cynical directors in Hollywood, you know, made light of Kung Fu in movies, things like Austin Powers, the movie Kung Pao, Starsky and Hutch. Like, Kung, if there was Kung an opportunity- Pao is actually kind of interesting. Have you, have you looked into like how that movie was made? Yeah, I don't. I've never seen it. No. So essentially, what they did is they took legitimate old like Chinese and Hong Kong kung fu films, and then they green screened the main character into it, and then dubbed over all the voices. But it's a combination of footage from maybe two or three. It's like three or four different movies they've cut scenes together from, and like the 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 way that they did it is incredibly clever. Yeah, the jokes are kind of juvenile, but it's really interesting when you see how that was actually made. That's actually a kind of smart. Is it Rob Schneider? No, it's uh, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. It's definitely not Rob Schneider. Um, it's someone of that ilk, though, isn't it? Yeah, uh, oh, I wish I could remember the guy's name. Um, it's not like Ashton Kutcher, is it? No, no, get out of uh, here! Oh God, it's Steve Oderk. No, I've never heard of him. Od- Odenkirk, I think. Yes. Yeah. Odenkirk. Um, Odenkirk. I, th- I think yeah. Bob Odenkirk is Better Call Saul. Oh, right. Okay. I think so. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if I've seen Steve Odenkirk and other stuff, but um, yeah, that, that uh, movie is weird in how it was made. <laughs> so I'm just looking TV shows. Um, the only one you might have heard of is um, The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy, the Genius. Um, <laughs> I have heard of that one. <laughs> and and books, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Weird. No idea. Okay. Uh, I assume he was in the movie as well, but who knows? Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and um, the the last bit I have on the fall is that um, uh, Netflix's Iron Fist was apparently shite. Yeah, I never watched that. Like, I watched a bunch of Netflix's Marvel shows. Like, the Daredevil stuff was super cool, and that's actually Daredevil's a good example great. of like uh, fight scene choreography, which doesn't make the protagonist the superhero that always wins. They fuck that character up. Something. Yeah. Something criminal. Um, Dude, Daredevil, the, Daredevil's a great character, though. Yeah, and like the Jessica Jones series was actually really interesting because it kind of. I did enjoy that. 
it it played more on like the interpersonal side of the character as opposed to just her being this wicked powerful character. Yeah, um, I thought I thought that was very good. Yeah, but I uh the actually Luke Cage the the the, the one season they did of that or whatever it was like that was pretty entertaining because it kind of touched more on like the Luke Cage character's origin and like black exploitation a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I tried watching Iron Fist. I watched like one, maybe two episodes. I was like, this sucks. And then when Defenders came around, which was like the combination of all four of those, same thing. Like the first episode was very Iron Fist heavy. And I was like, this still sucks. I'm out. <laughs> um, uh, one of the really funny uh, observations that I heard about it was that he's meant to be the greatest martial artist in the world. And every episode he gets his shit kicked out of him. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny. It's just no good. Yeah. Um, so... I'm going to come to like a couple more big topics, but the the last one I want to talk about before like we zone out was the mm-hmm. the fallout of this. Okay. So we have a couple of major bits of fallout, which is um, first one was Orientalism, which is um, yeah we're not aware. So it's the West historically patronizing representations of the East, mm-hmm. um, and this genre kind of especially things like Kung Fu, the movie, uh, the TV series, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. kind of led to a, a a lot of that sort of oh, the East is not necessarily the most advanced way of life, but simple honor and yeah. thoughtful tradition and herbal medicines. Uh, and, oh, it's quaint, but we have lessons to learn from them. Ideal kind of went a bit rampant, which is yes. terrible. Um, yeah. A huge amounts of cultural appropriation happened. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I find cultural appropriation a very difficult thing to talk about because it's very difficult to know the line between inspiration and culture appropriation. So I'm not going to get into that, but it did. Mm-hmm. Um and then I also saw a great bit of academic literature um, from a chap named um, Alexander Channon at the University of Brighton named mm-hmm. uh, Western Men and Eastern Arts, the Significance of Eastern Martial Art Disciplines in British Men's Narrative of Masculinity. And right. I've actually taken a quote from the, um, from the um, article here, um, from the piece, which mm-hmm. is, uh, it is also suggested that Eastern Mar- excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. It is also suggested that Eastern martial arts hold special significance in the West for their seemingly esoteric nature. In this regard, such martial arts are considered significant because they are not, quote, sports, but rather disciplines with fairly different connotations for practitioners. And I think that's a really interesting thing is that that, that's sort of like, there is a sort of snobbery around it, but also a kind of um, us versus them mentality of being like, oh, it's not a sport, it's an art, you know. And And yeah, there's this whole like, well, it kind of correlates to like you've put in the effort over time, and therefore you're more worthy of praise or respect. Yes. Yeah. There's, the, there's, there's, and this is one of the things I read about, like the American style of teaching and stuff like that, was that that a lot of American karate schools and stuff like that, instant gratification was such a big thing, and people were like, "Hey, I'm a seven year old, and I'm a black belt." It's like, well, yeah, yeah. not. Yeah, uh, no, I, I know a guy who is like. Last time I spoke to him, he was like second, maybe third down black belt in Taekwondo. But once he hit black belt, like getting to the next step took him fucking years of work. Well, I remember during my last, when I was doing a lot of karate back at school and stuff, if you wanted to go from black belt to black belt second down, you had to wait a minimum of two years to take take the exam. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, well, yeah, you could probably do it, but you've not earned the time. You've just powered through it. It's like power leveling in a game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I thought it was really interesting. Um, and I also, you know, but yeah, this whole idea of like the snobbery and the esotericism, it's, um, it's certainly interesting. And that like whole, it's a lifestyle, not an art thing, not a sport thing. Sorry. Is yeah, sure like I said, like, f- that's gotta be like a whole field of study of like 
the psychology around uh, masculinity that goes into that almost obsession. Yes, into 100%. into that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I, I, I do think there is some merit to it of that, like idea of being like, well, you can introduce some of these things into your life and and mm. you know bring it certain elements to it, whatever. Oh yeah, like, it's, like if, it's, it, if it brings you personally a greater sense of like discipline, self control, organization to your life, sure, yes, go nuts. Like yeah. as, as long as you're not hurting other people or whatever, you know, do what you want. Yeah. I certainly said that I saw a bit of it earlier, but like, you know, it's, it's the interpretation. So there is one audience and you actually kind of mentioned it earlier and I was kind of interested that you, you said it, but there's one audience that have stood by the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is uh, black Americans. Um, okay. No, I, I think I just mentioned Luke Cage and. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the black exploitation thing. Yeah. And and it kind of came up, and I was like, "That's interesting that you've mentioned black exploitation because it's a it kind of became a big thing in black exploitation mm. movies and just black cultures in the U.S. especially." So mm-hmm. uh, I've got some quotes here. So that some of this stuff is bits may consider cutting because it's a bit a bit lengthy potentially. But um, this is uh, a, an article in the Guardian that I forgot to write the source down for because I'm an idiot, um, which I use <laughs> quite a lot. Which was um, uh, cross cultural stuff has been going on in the ghettos for a long time. Says writer-producer James Schmaus, whose Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon played big to black audiences too. Remember, Bruce Lee was probably the greatest African-American star of the 70s, and that culture persists. And he means like within African-American communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in the 70s, Bruce Lee is actually one of the few leading men that was actually not white. And he was also as cool as fuck. Yeah. so yeah, as well as being one of the few, one of the only non-white leading men, he starred in movies where oppressive figures had the absolute snot being out of them mm. uh, in what the Guardian described as hyperkinetic ultraviolence, which I thought was a Amazing. really cool way of putting it. Yeah. Yes. Um, black audiences recently emerging from their fight for civil rights and still facing tons of prejudice really identified with this like desire to smash oppression. And most action movies at the time had uh, any black character in it as a henchman, as a minor crime boss, as a pimp, as a police mm. informant. You know, like Huggy Bear, the the yeah. pimp and police informant from Starsky and Hutch was like one of the biggest black sort of TV show stars. Yeah, well, I, I know like having listened to a number of, uh, you know, black writers for, for a number of years now, I know, for example, that Dragon Ball Z was a huge part of a certain black generation's yeah. upbringing and culture. And it holds, I didn't like, know this. it holds that kind of significance with them because it was just like such a big part. And, you know, talking about those themes about like smashing oppression and all that sort of stuff, like that there's a lot of similarities there with that series. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's up against the odds sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I don't want to make it clear. I don't want to, I don't want us to seem like we're sitting here talking about what black culture is because we are not, um, <laughs> no, I don't think there's two people that are further from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the only other hits that Warner Brothers had in 1972 was Superfly, uh, a really famous exploitation movie. Okay. Actually had a ton of Asian martial arts in it. Mm. Um, and also a lot of the like, so Times Square in New York at the time, in the early 70s, New York was not a nice place in the 70s. No, I've like, heard. <laughs> I, I, I still think it's some somewhere that I would have loved to experience and lived because it's so vibrant and like so interesting, uh, like a cultural shift happening at the time. But mm. um, it was also 
incredibly dangerous place yeah. to be and stuff like this. But it's also not a rich place to be. So Times Square had all these cinemas around it and they were showing cheap movies to audiences. And these audiences just wanted something to take in. And, and, and a lot yeah. of Kung Fu movies came through those Times Square cinemas. Okay. Um, sure. And while they might have been on their way out by 1974, these Asian Asian excuse me, <clears throat> these Asian martial arts found their way into the black exploitation movies. So mm. movies like Cleopatra Jones and Black Belt Jones, um, and I've put in brackets here, were all black movie characters Welsh. Um, Bamboo <laughs> God, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, uh, movies called Bamboo Gods and Iron Men, aka Black Kung Fu, and mm-hmm. Three the Hard Way, and Black Alley Cats. All these like. Big black exploitation movies had tons of karate and kung fu in them, right. um, and actually, to be honest with you, there was a large number, like a good majority of the, uh, a good percentage of um, karate teachers and stuff in the U.S. were uh, black American men. Right. And, uh, but but the weird thing is that even by seventy four and seventy five, black exploitation movies would kind of start to die, mm-hmm. but. This this like sympathetic view that a lot of Black Americans had with Asian oppo- uh, sort of opposition to what was essentially white American jingoism and stuff, um, yeah. especially in the likes of Vietnam, was pervasive. So a lot of a lot of y- thousands of young Black men who had only recently just gained equal rights in the vote were then forced to be drafted into what was essentially an American imperialistic war in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've got another quote here. So a broad sector of blacks not only opposed the Vietnam War, but also wished for a Vietnam victory. China and things Chinese were very popular in Afro-America. Uh, yeah, and that right. comes from, um, and I didn't write their first name down because I'm an idiot, but uh, Chajwa <laughs> was the surname. And he's a black American guy. He's an uh, associate professor of history at Illinois University in the African-American Studies Department. Right. Um, but China itself was kind of finally throwing off the shackles of imperialism and a Japanese rule at the end of the war as well. Um, might not necessarily have been common knowledge amongst people in America, but, you know, for those that did, it was a, it was like a shared struggle of, right. of fighting oppression. Mm-hmm. And the one place where we still see a huge amount of influence in this is hip-hop music. And okay. two articles that I recommend, rec- re- re- oh, excuse me, reference between crack and medium at the beginning were about, um, hip hop and kung fu movies. I didn't want to say that would give it away, but yeah. it took huge influence from the genre. And um, there's a quote here from Dr. Joseph Schloss, who is a noted hip hop scholar and music historian. So, what martial arts really did for hip hop was to provide a model for apprenticeship system that showed how you could respect a teacher or mentor without diminishing your own self-respect. And a lot of martial arts movies had that same structure that people would see about people learning under a tutor or an apprentice, like a system coming up, finding their own feet, winning Mm. battles and making their own name. Mm. Um, And there's, uh, there's some great quotes here from, so is there any particular group or artist you associate with Kung Fu in the hip hop genre? No, I, I, uh, you, you, you will. That's a man. Yeah. That's your man. So like, I never really listened to them, but I I know they have a bit of that about them. Yeah. So on on, on the subject of kung fu movies, uh, we would watch them every weekend. This was around the age of nine. By the time I was twelve or thirteen, I started getting fascinated. I would go into Chinatown buying everything: kung fu books, slippers, you name it. I was on a mission. That was Riza from the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah. And. Uh, then you have names like uh, Grandmaster Flash and Wu Tang Clan, mm-hmm. obviously very heavily inspired by his Chinese movies. And in 2012, um, the RZA uh, almost inevitably released his first kung fu 
movie, which is a love letter to the genre called The Man with the Iron Fists. Uh, it has a wicked cast in it. That's okay. the movie that my friend Alex and I are going to watch and right. uh, get a bit fucked up and watch. So you should uh, join us on that. Yeah. He also wrote the score to the 1999 Forrest Whitaker movie, Ghost Dog Wear the Samurai, which was like a samurai gangster movie. Okay. Fab, there's a, there's a famous, like, um, it's very early, like, chronicler of hip hop, and he was a cameraman and then, like, an artist called Fab Five Freddy. And mm-hmm. he produced a joint art show with a guy, uh, I assume a gentleman, actually, I don't know, called MC Yan, of, uh, a Hong Kongese artist, mm-hmm. which was a bunch of paintings inspired by Bruce Lee, and they're really cool. I had a look at some of those. Okay. And, um, Finally, and I think possibly the most amusing thing for me, and I'm not quite sure why, is... Um, so you said you've seen Rush Hour 2. So this will be yeah. something you maybe will remember. Uh, achingly cool and relevant king of hip-hop this decade is Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Um, he opened his 2017 Coachella headline set of a short film depicting his new alter ego, Kung Fu Kenny. And very occasionally you'll hear him at the beginning of songs yeah. yelling, New Kung Fu Kenny. Yeah, I've heard that before. I looked into this and I heard a bit of it on a podcast, on the IGN UK podcast. Gavin Murphy talks about it when he used to work there. Um, Kung Fu Kenny is a reference to Don Cheadle's character in Rush Hour 2. Uh, he's a guy named Kenny who runs a Chinese restaurant. A black guy named Kenny who runs a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, John Don Cheadle is in that movie. Yes, and it's I a forgot. front for a money laundering operation. Oh. And he's just like... He's like, it's an incredibly profitable business to run a Chinese restaurant. And he's there in like the full like Kung Fu uniform, yeah. silks and stuff like that. Yeah. That's who, that's who new Kung Fu Kenny is. Holy shit. Yes. I'm okay. I'm like a little bit reeling from that. I never, yeah. I never, oh, I never looked into it, but I never even thought that might be what it is. Holy it's shit. wild. And that my friend is America's love affair with the Kung Fu movie. And there's wow. only a two things I want to add. And one of which was that when I was looking through the um, uh, uh, filmography of Bruce Lee, one of the things said that he was a fight choreographer on a thing, um, a thing written by a famous TV producer in America, which I'd never heard of, but it made me laugh a lot because his name is Sterling Sillyphant. Like silly elephant. Okay. <laughs> it's like a famous AFL footballer, uh, Steel Sidebottom. That's really good. That's a yeah. good name. <laughs> yes. It's, um, there's a famous Indian uh, actor with dwarfism called Deep Roy. Which I found oh, very funny. God. Yeah. Um, you'll have seen him in loads of stuff. He's in loads. Um, and I also Roy. found a wicked um, thing on a, a website called Flashback, which has like um, photos and magazine covers and stuff of like from historical settings, which mm. was um, 1970s and 80s martial arts magazines front covers and i just thought that was really funny and i might share oh. that on the socials because it was very funny yeah okay um, but that's american obsession with kung fu and the sort of weird two year 30 year 50 year it's like result. a two-year spike with a really long tail yeah huge it's it's yeah. insane so that's that's that and any questions from the group <laughs> uh, i.e. me um yeah no i just want to watch a bunch of kung fu movies now that, that, yeah i'm really that, annoyed that's all this is done dude none of the big ones are on amazon prime on netflix i don't know if they're on stan like i can't find them anywhere i'm really upset about this there was a netflix documentary called iron fists and kung fu kicks and i wanted to watch that okay and it's not on netflix right well i guess it's time to start buying dvds again or something get fucked <laughs>
Well, you buy the you buy the DVDs, you give them to me, and I can rip them. That's classed as like legal archiving, and then we can sell I, them. I have the ability to do that. You know, I'm not that backwards. Well, I, I know that not everybody has a DVD or Blu-ray drive in their computer these days. I've got, I've got one of them plug-in ones with a USB C. Oh right, okay. I'm joking. <laughs> I don't really. That'd be wild. You might uh, That's like fine. the square USB style. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. You might. I don't no. know. Nah. <laughs> Okay. Um, um, yeah. Cool. Well, this has gone on kind of long because I got a bit excited and started doing no, a lot of research. I, 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 I like the energy. I like the, the topic. I like all of it. I, I, don't, I, think I, do, I don't think I'm going to cut much of it at all. So do you know, I, I, oh, that's sweet of you. I, I, yeah, I got really into this one. I got very excited now. It went on a bit long, but um, no, yeah. fine. P- potential Look, every, was to cut it into two they, they need stuff to listen to right now, and we are giving them the goods. Yeah, fucking TJ had the audacity to say to me the other day, oh, they're really long. It's like, okay, A, they're like podcast length, and B, what are you up to? Yeah, what you else are you doing with your time? Also, TJ, I love you, mate, but what were you up to when we had lives? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Absolutely dog me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, if well, you have hey, been interested no, in no, any no. of this... Oh. Before we get to that, uh, any final thoughts on the beer? Oh, we, I've we nailed it. Really, I've done. Yeah, I've actually yeah. smashed it. I've that that's unusual because usually the the one of us doing the talking doesn't get to drink as fast. But I smashed mine about halfway into that. It was so delicious. Yeah, it's too good. It I, is I making me about, die for a piss. I was thinking about this uh, during the episode. Actually, like beers, beers like this that might be easier to come like get your hands on. Um. Ooh. So so there's one that I've had. Uh, quite uh, deeds brewing. Uh, they have one called the Juice Train. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the double juice train, which is basically just like a stronger, more flavorful version of it. But if you can find that, um, they're, they're based out of like Glen Iris here in Victoria. Yeah. Um, that's like one of their standard sort of beers at the moment. Um, it looks like re- the council might approve their tap room at some point soon, yeah, by the nice. way, they're going, going through the motions. I've signed a lot of petitions about it. Yeah. But that, that's like, that's a really good beer that is kind of similar to, to this one. Uh, if you're, if you're local to Melbourne, that might be easy to find. Um, trying to think what else would be would be similar to this um look if you can find the mr miyagi fucking get that that is delicious yeah it's very good um purvis yeah. beer in richmond have it if you're looking for some yeah not sponsored by the way we just uh, no. know where to, we know where to find beers and we're trying to pass on the good word and support your local bottle shop exactly and they they were good dudes and they helped me out yeah and i can't find it anywhere else so fucking get on it <laughs> yeah go go and go and see them mm. yeah anyway cool you were you, you were saying Oh, well, sorry. Um, if you'd like to see me doing Kung Fu on uh, video, you can hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You don't yeah. need to make that video, you know. I'm probably going to do it. And yeah. I'm overlay- <laughs> I'll do like a TikTok and I'll overlay it with some of like the little like cut-in bits that the no, just, Wu-Tang Clan use where just, it's like just do tiger a, just style. Do a, do a sick boomerang. Bring those back. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, I'll overlay everybody was Kung Fu fighting. No, don't um, do that. Oh, okay. Something tells me that song might be more problematic than I think it is. No, I think it's actually okay. I was thinking yeah. about this the other day. Yeah. Um, okay. I haven't looked at the lyrics, but, you know. Anyway, yeah. if you want to find that video of me, inevitably, um, when I get drunk and think it's a good idea this afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, you can hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hey Brew Podcast. That is Hey Brew Podcast. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want to email us, Mike, how can they do that? Well, open up your preferred email client, and in the to field... Type in hello at Haybrew.zone. Absolute bell end. 
said how. You didn't say what's the email address. You said how could they do that? So you want to repeat the address again so that because uh, I spoke over it calling you a prick? Yes, it's hello at heybrew.zone. Thanks, man. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean I didn't mean I didn't mean to call you a prick, but I absolutely no, did. That's fine. <laughs> it kind right. of was a prickish move. <laughs> all right. You can hear us on all of our all of your various podcast listening services. You can find us at heybrew.zone. Mm-hmm. And if you want to leave us a like, a subscribe, or a rating on any of those services, it would be so, so appreciated. We genuinely do love it. Uh, we love to get reviews, and we'll read them out on the show because um, we love to hear from people. Yeah, we, we, we you, should. I think for next episode, we should do another round of uh, checking if we've got any new ones uh, and reading those out next time around. Yeah, that'd be um, sweet. We, we've so, had a bit of a we've had a bit of a uh, push recently, I guess, in terms of uh, people we know getting getting into it and telling their friends. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if you uh, if you want to send us some anything at all, or you want to leave us anything at all, or you want to speak to us at all, you know where we're at. We love to hear yep. from you, and um, thank you so much for listening to this very very long episode on Elliot's little fangirling about um, a little bit. Yeah, that's fine. about kung fu movies. Um, this has been Hebrew. Uh, I have been Elliot San. <laughs> I have been Mike. I'm not doing that. <laughs> mm. uh, cheers. Cheers. Oh, Kampai. No, that's Japanese. Gambay. That's Chinese. I don't know any Hongkonese. Anyway, cheers. Cheers. I really, <sighs> really, really need to piss. Yeah, I kind of do too, but... Because I nailed that water, that can, and that other can. Yeah, you did. Do we want to go piss, and then we'll come back and...